He fights for progress. He lives for the future. First hitting the scene over 25 years ago, he built out the IT programs of Fortune 500 companies. Today, he pioneers the protection of personal data and is a steward of truth and transparency. Without further ado, please welcome Gregory McDonald, host of Unfiltered. Welcome to this week's episode of the Gregory McDonald Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Gregory McDonald, and joining us today in the studio is none other than Roland Dubow. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Doing fine, Greg. Good, good, good. What's going on? Well, it's been a busy week. Um, of course, the topic again today is going to be cybersecurity. It's just something again. that, yes, again, it's, it's something I guess we can't get away from. That being said, on a bright note, and it's rare that I ever have any bright notes, um, we had a client last week, Greg, that actually averted a wire fraud incident. And not only that, the reason they did is because of the cybersecurity awareness training they received from Mortgage Fish. No joke. That's great. I think that was, what, 340000 340000 And uh, it was a very, very good actual phishing campaign. But um, thank goodness uh, this particular group, not to mention names, even though probably be okay, really takes cybersecurity very seriously. And it comes from the top down, just like we've talked about in previous episodes that it, no matter how much you spend, no matter how much uh, emphasis you put on the technology, unless it's driven from within the company, it's just not going to get taken care of. And this particular group completed their comprehensive awareness training, I think the last day of June, by mandate, uh, or by threat. I can't remember which one it was, but I think probably both. And uh, they avoided, I got an e email from their CAO, CEO, basically thanking me and the team for doing a great job and, and probably saved their business. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, in other news, I reached out to Alta last week, Greg. You reached out to who? Alta. I think that's the American Land Title Association. In regards to some of the interesting things we've been finding um, in our clients' emails and just see what uh, what they could do to help us. Okay. Well, the first email to one of the executives, and I went to the top, the very top, I'll let everyone figure out who that is, replied rather quickly and very nice, cordial email. It said, listen, you need to talk to this other individual, and she handles all that. The new top or the old top? Well, this is the new top. Okay. Yeah. And basically forward my email to another individual in the organization, and she's the expert. So I waited patiently over the weekend, did receive an email um, late Friday night. And what do you think it said, Greg? They're, you think they're willing to help? It was a payment gateway. <laughs> close, close. It was, if we upgrade our membership to platinum, our odds of getting the word out to more agents would be better. Like that's a platinum or a premium service provider? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And okay. there wasn't a mention. And I tell you, this email went into great detail, not only outlining the research that they provide the industry on just the sheer number of title agents that don't participate in phishing awareness training, and then really what we're seeing, what the cost issues we're facing with these title agents, 
I mean, literally soup to nuts. It must have been six paragraphs. It was a it was a fifteen minute read, and I got back essentially, like you said, a link to become a platinum sponsor. So that obviously is their solution. I, you know, it's kind of like okay, now you're holding me ransom. No one holds you ransom, Roland. Anyways, I was a little disheartened. I think you warned me, but uh, sometimes I did warn you. You did, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think that's the answer. So they wanted to sell you a pl- platinum sponsorship. Yes, yes. That's that's the that's the magic silver well, bullet to stop Roland, fishing. The, aren't you aware that that gives us a, a lollipop type of sign that we can put out in front of our booth? And you ready for this? What? You ready? A special logo. Oh. Better than the logo we got, we have now. I mean, I do have a certificate and a sticker. I don't think they're sticker. They should have stickers. They're yeah. preferred vendor. I think. Oh, I see. Logos. Yeah, you could put that on our website. Right? Uh, could be. I don't know. Does I just don't see it solving the problem. It's like uh, we're not paying enough money to solve the problems. Yeah, it was. You know, I actually for. Oh, I want to be careful. I want to make sure I understand uh, all of this, so we're not casting aspersions. As they say. No, I mean it was. It was. It was kind of shocking. I mean, because I. I mean, I actually had two or three people read the email. First and foremost, to proof proofread it, and make sure I had all the commas and I's and T's crossed and all that. But I mean, it was very heartfelt that we understand this issue, willing to do whatever. I mean, willing to do free trainings i'm willing to obviously we 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 present at a majority of their events or sanctioned events and i just was really shocked that i was trying to be sold so are you trying to tell me that we care about title agents but they care about our money yeah yeah i mean i i see the webinars that they provide from other industry players that talk about wire fraud and actually charge a hundred dollars to view those. Well, I mean, look, people do that, right? I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a business, but man, I was sure hoping to get a little bit warmer response and pay here. Oh, I warned you. Yep. You did. What did I say? You don't know? Yep. Well, hopefully we'll take it down to a state level and see if we can get some traction. I know there's several you think states. That's gonna work? Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope someone will actually read the email and not try to monetize what already is a horrible situation. But I think you actually, I mean, of course, I mean, let's be honest, right? We're not the only ones out there with the information. There's people that do their own research. I'm sure they do their own research. I mean, look, people, you know, we don't have the, the, the market cornered on research. But if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, through our own hands-on phishing attacks, which, of course, is to clarify are were hired to perform attacks against people in the real estate title mortgage escrow legal etc cetera, etc cetera, industries and, and and we do that and, and we have maybe a different set of data uh that, that could be useful and and, and if i'm understanding this correctly you wanted to share with alta our findings which may be in alignment with theirs, or they may be not be. I, I don't know, uh, but, but that's kind of irrelevant. I think you wanted to share those findings, and rather than maybe, um, I don't know what the possible outcome of that email could be, but discussing it, working together, uh, a phone call, a phone call that leads to something, a phone call that goes on. You're saying that all you got in response was that something to the effect, again, not not being hyper specific here. Uh, something to the effect of, of we would be more effective as a company if we paid Alta for exposure. That's exactly what it was. And I also mentioned in the email that I, I'm not looking for an endorsement at all. I'm not looking for an endorsement. I'll endorse you, Roland. Yeah. You're I mean, a good guy. I'm, we're looking to help. It's an issue. 
I mean, we take our time every day to help our clients that have been hit by this. Some are mortgage fish clients, some aren't. Some are cloud cloud star clients, some are mortgage fish clients, some are notary transfer clients, some are dialogics clients, um, all companies that we proudly own and do a very good job running, I might add. Um, So there's a lot of data, no? Yeah, quite a bit. I just wish uh, someone would be a little bit more, or an entity would be a little bit more receptive of someone trying to help and not monopolize and and monetize the issue we have at hand. Sure. Wow. Yep. Lesson learned. Move on. So, um, Roland, you uh, now sounds about like a good time. Uh, you want to play a game? Sure. What game you want to play? Anything in particular? Huh. I don't know. Why don't we just we'll, we'll, we'll just play a game and we'll, uh, we'll we'll go from there, right? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Georgia State Patrol, come on down. Louisiana School District, come on down. In sync, QuickBooks somewhere in Kentucky hosting, come on down. And Alabama Medical Center, come on down. You're the next four victims in ransomware tonight. Jeez. So, um, what what do you think of that? That's pretty good, I tell you. Well, uh, that being said, let's go ahead and roll a clip from contestant number one, the Georgia State Patrol, our friends up there, Smokies. Georgia State Patrol has become the latest state agency hit by a ransomware attack. Melissa Stern has details and explains what happens inside such attacks. They just Tell had us. A, um, a message pop on their screen that looked a little strange from our headquarters um, office. Lieutenant Stephanie Stallings with Georgia State Patrol says a Department of Public Safety employee got a notification on their computer Friday morning and notified their IT department. Technology department notified the Georgia Technology Authority, making them aware. Um, and just as a preemptive action, uh, they shut down the servers and shut down our network. They aren't well, sure good. where it's coming from, and they are trying. That's not good. Trying very hard to make sure it's not any more widespread than what it, you know, certainly could have potentially been. Mark Rash, a cybersecurity expert, says it can affect. I don't care what Mark Rash has to say. (laughs) Well, that's not good. That seems to be a recurring story over and over and over again. And after that, we had Louisiana School District. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's interesting. I think. I mean, I may be wrong, but I think that is the first state emergency declared for a cyber attack. That could be. Yeah. Hmm, well, it's, uh, I mean, I don't really know. They said they've basically gathered the uh, uh, brute force of the National Guard and other resources, but I'm not sure what the, the National Guard. The brute force of the National Guard? <laughs> Whoa, what? Yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure what the National Guard would do for a cyber attack, but. Um, it would be interesting if there were additional monies um, that came from a uh, state of emergency that could be utilized for things like backup and recovery, uh, security awareness training. You know, the common yeah. things you use to actually keep yourself right. from getting well, in Well, a disaster is a disaster, so I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Um, InSync Hosting, very large hosting provider of QuickBooks. 
That's scary. That's not good. And the uh, Alabama Medical Center. Yep, just another that's, example. That's life and death right there. Yeah, well, you know, this medical center attacks are pretty nasty. I mean, especially with, you know, compliance, anything that's compliant, especially HIPAA data, patient data, you can't lose that. No, not at all. Well, now would be a good time to take a break. And when we come back from the break, we will have Colin Bastable, CEO of Lucy Security. This episode of Gregory McDonald Unfiltered is brought to you by... Wire fraud is running rampant. Cybercrime is on the rise. And phishing emails? We all know someone who's been a victim. Don't just sit there doing nothing. Fight back with Mortgage Fish. Mortgage Fish trains your team to spot, identify, and remediate dangerous emails stopping fraud and data theft before it happens. When you partner with Mortgage Fish, your staff will receive legitimate phishing emails custom tailored for your industry. We will identify who clicks and provide the necessary online security training, arming your staff with both the knowledge and experience to defend against the latest attacks. Do not become another statistic. Take action now to prevent cybercrime from crippling your organization. Contact us online at www.mortgagefish.com to learn about programs designed to protect title agents, law firms, lenders, and more. That's www.mortgagephish.com. Welcome back to Gregory McDonald Unfiltered. Here is your host, Gregory McDonald. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Roland, do we have a special guest today? We do. We have Colin Bastable. He is the CEO of Lucy Security. Colin, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you very much, Roland. So uh, good to be uh, talking with you. Fantastic. Well, I think this would be a good time to, to let everybody know about Lucy Security and yourself. How do you fit into this cybersecurity equation we're dealing with? Yeah, so um, you know, Lucy Security is, is a very interesting company, and I came across the uh, the guys, and, and I just fell in love with the product and everything it did. So uh, it's it's a Swiss company, and uh, it specialises in security awareness. But there's a bit of a different spin on the way we work compared with how some other companies work. So uh, um, our market really evolved largely out of uh, computer-based training. And the problem with that is that has a heritage from like video and so on. Uh, So Lucy uh, started this business by actually uh, being ethical hackers. So with 20 odd years of experience, we were pen testing and security testing organizations. And what we discovered was that most of that perimeter defense, most of those endpoint security solutions just don't work. And companies are spending uh, an absolute fortune on protecting against attacks uh, when only 3% of attacks are um, technically based. 97% of attacks um, originate from social engineering. Okay, so what we did is uh, we built this uh, series of uh, attacks, um, you know, p- pen testing originated attacks on systems, and then we expanded it into um, teaching people how to experience uh, a real uh, or realistic um, uh, attack through hacking, through phishing. Okay, so what we did is uh, we built this uh, range of hundreds of different attacks, uh, and then uh, we created a whole series of 
um, awareness videos, trainings, quizzes, all sorts of interesting pieces, so that a company could uh, train its uh, employees on the reality or seeming reality of, of being under attack and of being fished and so on. Uh, and then uh, over a period of time, you continually run these uh, simulated phishing attacks and then trainings that come up with it. You'll reduce the risk of people clicking on those dangerous links from maybe 25%. You could get it down as low as 5%. Um, and for me, this is just a fantastic return on investment type of solution where you could see an improvement uh, in the safety of a company. So um, I joined the team, set up the U.S. operation, and uh, we've been uh, really just uh, um, having a great time just building and building the business in a, in a hot market that is, is forecasting with $10 billion in the next seven years. So uh, um, it's just a very quick sketch of, of Lucy Security and, uh, and how we got there. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Very interesting. So Lucy is, is not just an American-based company. It's, it's, a, it's a European-based company. Tell me a little bit about the, the landscape these days outside of the U.S. I mean, what are some of the differences that we see? I mean, obviously, it's a global problem, but what do you find are some of the key things or key attributes of – one country or one society or one culture over another, Colin? Yeah, as you can probably tell by my, uh, my speech impediment, I, <laughs> I came to, uh, to the U.S. Uh, originally from, uh, from Europe, from England. Um, and I've <clears throat> worked with uh, security companies. I've led global sales teams. So I've, I've dealt in just about every significant market in the world and grown businesses as diverse as uh, Europe, uh, Africa, uh, Japan, um, uh, just everywhere. Um, when I first came to the States, I think the biggest thing that I personally noticed was the, uh, uh, the lack of regard for, uh, for personal consumer privacy uh, that is taken for granted in, in other markets, uh, and particularly in Europe. And, and as you know, the, the Swiss, uh, this being a Swiss company, so the Swiss are very <laughs> famous for their, their secure banking system, their secret banking system, which um, uh, is, is kind of a, a hallmark of that society, which is uh, confidentiality and protection of individual data. So uh, the, the, yeah, for me, this I had when I came and I found that I was applying for you know, mortgages and credit cards and all that, uh, but that these credit monitoring companies were... Uh, basically touting all of my information and every other American consumer's information uh, out and and everything was public. Um, whereas in Europe, of course, one this, this whole credit scoring culture um, isn't as deep. Uh, so people aren't locked into the need to have a high credit rating. Most, most Europeans don't even know what a credit score is per se. Uh, so, uh, so this isn't a vehicle for exploiting people's information. And and I think that is a, v a very big difference that uh, the, uh, the the European approach is far more to respect individual pri privacy to some extent, um, uh, and you know we see all these breaches and then the news we've got the Equifax um, issue where they've after two years they've finally been uh, uh, dragged through the process and uh, forced to uh, to compensate and uh, make good. Uh, 
But of course, that's all driven by the fact that uh, these um, organizations are collecting all this information to monetize it, and and this also spreads over into the social media organize into the so the social um, networking companies and so on, you know the Facebooks, uh, the Googles, they're just collecting hordes and hordes of consumer and business information, uh, not because it uh, has some benefits to the consumers, but because they can monetize it, and this I think has driven a tremendous amount of cybersecurity risk for uh, individuals and the companies where they work. So uh, I feel very passionately that if we can protect individuals, if we can teach individuals uh, as consumers uh, and as employees, then we can save uh, companies from a lot of the massive potential risk that they face as a result of this very just insecure um, approach to people's data. Wow. So really, you're you're saying that in Europe, they're much more privacy-oriented, uh, more secure. They're, they're very shocking, actually, to hear that, that many of them don't understand the credit scoring monitor, uh, model or they don't monitor their credit or they're not really uh, aware of their scores. Um, Rudy, back into behavior. So, you know, how is it that you think that we came to be that way. So we have a different type of behavior, it seems, overseas than we do here. So, you know, one of the things that we want to do when correcting behavior is, is to understand the, the, the root of that behavior so we can ultimately train around that and understand the why in order to implement um, some, some corrective training and, and really more so a mindset, creating a culture of security. It sounds like there's much more of a culture of security overseas than, than there is here. So do you think that there's anything inherently American, if you will, in, in our behavior uh, that l leads us to think along these lines? Um, so, so there's just, uh, you know, people from the, the origins of the United States is all the people that came here were risk takers, weren't they? You know, so, sure. uh, so there's a genetic uh, thing that if you come here, you're taking a risk. Um, uh, and if you stayed behind, uh, you're probably um, used to to being safer. So I do think that over uh, you know a few hundred years, you do have a uh, you, you you create a cultural DNA of of kind of risk taking here, which is a great thing. Um, but um, I think, in my own opinion, maybe something started to change in the 80s. I, I don't know what it was, but this uh, when people discovered that they could. Uh, uh, monetize uh, people's information. Uh, the the uh, the culture and the, and the legal system and so on allowed that. So because it's um, the U.S. was far more of a credit-driven society, it was easy to get credit here uh, than it was, say, in the U.K. and other countries where your bank had to know you and you know, the bank manager had to trust you before they let you have a little loan. Um, over here, you know, th that whole story of, you know, just put down 100 bucks and drive away a car. Uh, sure. uh, to enable that type of culture, you have to actually have a, um, a means of giving somebody a credit worthiness that is trusted outside of your local bank. So, uh, so it's um, two halves of the same coin. Uh, so, as I say, most, uh, you know, sorry, I didn't really understand what a, a credit score was, and nobody ever told me, okay, Colin, you can't get a loan unless you've got a a number of X that just never happened to me 
in in the UK. But it's a great driver for making an economy uh, grow and for giving people economic freedom. Um, of course, the problem comes when when you've got to say, well, where is all that data kept, and what are people doing with it? Uh, so, so that's the the other subject. The Europeans, of course, tend to I think have um, a bit more respectful privacy uh, as opposed to the uh, the security. I'm uh, I'm not so sure that they they have uh, a superior security culture. I think that they just um, probably tend to. Uh, respect a little bit more the privacy, but they also uh, um, the consequence of that is that you know you can't get credit so easily. It takes forever to get a loan and all of those good things. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that I just did is I reached out online, and especially to the settlement services community, where we, we spend so much of our time and attention, uh, but also to, to lenders and, and those that, that work with sensitive data. I posed a $100 challenge. I said that I will personally pay an organization $100 if they sign a contract that, in a, in a sense, give us legal authority. And we, we can't just go trying to hack people or pen test them. or we, And, of course, we can't just send them emails uh, where uh, – you know, can't just do that, right? It, it, it's basically a crime. So, you know, we, we have a contract that – gives permission to our organization to test and um, not cause any damage, but to test. So I, I put it out there for, for folks to, to take us up on. We'll pay them $100. All they need to do is sign a document that gives us the permission. That's it. We'll pay them $100 um, if we cannot successfully fish them. In other words, we're taking the position. Maybe it's a bold position, but, but I'm going to take this position. We're taking the position that we believe we should put our money where our mouth is. And we believe that it's only a matter of time before we're able to successfully penetrate an organization. So much so I'm willing to spend and give anybody $100 um, if we can't. You know, prove me wrong. If, if I can't do it, I'll pay you $100. N- not one person, not one person, not one organization is willing to take that challenge and <laughs> you know it re i i'm a, a little bit of a fan of, of 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 psychology and i think maybe what that comes down to is, is normalcy bias you know the, the definition that wikipedia has for normalcy bias is uh, the normalcy bias is a belief people hold when considering the possibility of a disaster it causes people to underestimate both the likelihood of a disaster and it's possible effects because people believe that things will always function the way things normally have functioned. In other words, it, it can't yep. happen to me. And, you know, we're offering to pay $100 if we can't get through their defenses, their perimeters, their firewalls, their security, their people. We can't hack their people and socially engineer them. And there's so much normalcy bias that apparently nobody views this as a problem. However, we hear about it all the time. We hear about it on the news. We hear about it in the media. Trade organizations will give webinars and seminars. And when, when you talk to someone or a group of people and you say, hey, listen, what are, you, what are your thoughts on cybersecurity and phishing and wire fraud? I don't think one of them would say it's not a problem. So you have a group of people that will unanimously 
agree. This is a major problem, yet, in my opinion, seem to be suffering from a normalcy bias. You know, actions speak louder than words. I hear the words, Colin, that folks view this as the threat that it is, but I don't necessarily see some of the actions to back that up where they really want to go out and do something about it. And um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that, if you've encountered that, and what do you think the ultimate solution is to motivating individuals to take action on cybersecurity and not just talk about it? Yeah, it's a great point. And uh, so you can see all of these hacks and how each year they just go up and up and up. Like uh, it, um, <clears throat> this year over, uh, uh, over last year, I think we're already faced with significant growth. Um, 18, uh, 2018 grew uh, 250% in cyber, cyber attacks over 2017. Um, so you're going to say this keeps on getting worse and worse, and the scale of the attacks is bigger and bigger. You know, we're not talking about 150 million. We're talking now about you know, hundreds of millions of people losing data. So um, <clears throat> this, uh, people all think it's not going to happen to me. And, and I think particularly smaller medium enterprises, they think that nobody can see them. They think they're invisible and nobody cares about me. Hey, I'm just a little bit. It's an interesting point. Uh, and, and of course, it, most phishing attacks, well, they don't know anybody. <laughs> you know, they're just, uh, it's just they, they do know, however, that if they keep on firing this stuff out from the billions of records that are stored and available and sold for pennies uh, on uh, the dark web, if they just keep on hitting these emails out, all they need to do is get 1% uh, of people to click. Uh, and you know, you know, worst case, they're going to get some more live information. That's a valid email address. Uh, they will click. Just like we can see when we run a test and we can see that some people have a high propensity to just click on those links. So, uh, so at, at the very basic level, um, you're going to make money if you just keep on clicking uh, on phishing people. Uh, but at, at a higher level, what we can also see is that some companies are going to be targeted you know, because they're in the finance business, they're in the healthcare industry, uh, because... Um, there's either money there or there's information. And yet the individuals act as consumers. They just think, hey, uh, you know, I'm just me and nobody really cares about me. The managers are too busy running their companies, so they would rather deny that there's a bigger risk than, uh, than anything else until it hits. And, uh, and then when it hits, they, they then now realize that this is a much bigger risk. And I draw a parallel with when I first got into the IT security business, it was in the antivirus business. And then this, the antivirus business was an early days thing. Uh, and, you know, there were three guys, Solomon and uh, uh, McAfee and Peter Norton. And they, around the same time, conceived this idea of, of how a virus might work. Uh, and I was uh, with, uh, with a UK company, um, Solomon, so was doing this stuff, and we would talk to people and uh, try and sell them the software, and they say, "No, no, no, I don't need it. I don't need it." And then they call back because they were hit, hit with a virus. Right. Um, and and unfortunately, we see that now with all of these uh, attacks, we see them like with the uh, the municipalities that are being hit. Um, there were a couple in Florida reported. We can see Baltimore. We can see. Uh, all of these uh, um, towns and cities that are being hit because they're quite soft targets, aren't they? You know, they 
Um, they don't have strong defences, and they don't start the training and the defence until it, of people by protecting people until it's until it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we were, we were just reading today. There's there was another municipal government that was that was hit, and that you know, it's almost a it's a it's a double double edged knife. I mean, not only are they going to get information, but these municipalities. They, they lack a viable recovery solution. And, you know, in yeah. some cases, you know, if, if they get ransomware that encrypts, you know, a, a production storage environment, that very well may be linked and it's probably linked, networked, connected, however you want to say it, uh, to their backups. So they, they, they have this false sense of security that because they have backups that that means that everything is going to be okay. Or they have an insurance policy that you know after their building burns down it's, it'll cut them a check but you know maybe they have cyber liability well that might make somebody whole financially but it's never going to restore their reputation it's never going to stop lawsuits um so when you when you couple the the vulnerability of the human being that, to be socially engineered with the fact that really you know when was the last time most of these folks had an honest conversation about how quickly or if they could recover it's they, they think that their yep. backups are immune and they don't test them. And that's what we've seen in the municipal uh, targets that have been hit, whether it's Baltimore or Philadelphia. You're weeks and weeks and weeks into this. Well, why can't they recover? You know, your average person is going to say, hey, I have backups. What's the problem? And there's really uh, a knowledge gap that, that, that folks buy, in my opinion, security products, systems, storage, backups. Uh, but they really just do not understand how it works. Maybe they don't want to, or maybe they feel that it's someone else's responsibility within the organization to understand that. But I think ultimately it starts it starts at the top, right? Yeah, and and you know, um, and it does come back to this point about um, it, about people believing that the technology will save them. Yeah, and that if they just invest in some security technology. Uh, it's going to work. And as I said early on, we did some work for a Swiss bank, and we looked at everything. And these are really major corporations. We looked about uh, 20 of their, their technologies. We found that they wouldn't defend them adequately. Uh, and that really, these they were as, as well not investing. That's a um, <clears throat> hard thing to get past a, a CISO um, to say, hey, look, this technology isn't going to save you. The reason it doesn't save them is because they need to take a holistic model and recognize that the people are the way in. Uh, that, you know, whether it's somebody looking at files and websites they shouldn't be looking at or downloading files or just clicking something that they think is from a friend, most people have never even experienced a spoofed email or, you know, that they know of. You know, they don't realize how easy it is uh, to, for, for somebody to, for the bad guys to get lucky just that once and if, if a company is only protecting itself um, technically, but it's not also training its people to be part of the defense, uh, then these attacks will just keep on keeping on. And, uh, um, uh, you know, and the point of backups, you know, what if your backup is also infected? Sure. Yeah, how do you know it isn't? Um, uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, they, uh, yeah, people are... Um, seemingly, it's that um, uh, normalcy thing that you were talking about. People are, are just seemingly unable to learn um, in, in a herd mentality uh, until until they individually get hit, and then everyone else is just thinking, "I dodged that bullet." Um, 
right, until, right. of course, the next bullet. What, what, what do you think the breaking point's going to be? It's 2019. Do you think it's going to be 2020, 2021, 2022? What, when do you think we're going to get there? You know, as you were saying earlier, you used to sell antivirus many, many years ago. People said they didn't want it. They didn't buy it. They got hit. They called you back. Okay, great. Let's take that analogy uh, and, and bring it forward into 2019. But what's your prediction? How many years are out are we until people say, you know what, we can't ignore this anymore. This this actually can happen to us. Um, it's a sad thing to say, but uh, uh, the security industry would probably go out of business if people and organizations uh, were capable of addressing it. Um, so uh, I don't think it's, it's ever going to go away. And part of the reason is that the bad guys have got far more incentive to steal data or money uh, and to cause disruption than the good guys have to um, protect themselves um, until until the attack happens. So, uh, you know, that, that whole normalcy thing, I can't see it ever getting better. I can just see it getting worse. Do you... Um, do you think um, I know that there's the, you've witnessed the, the different cultures between abroad and the United States based on your experience with U.S. Uh, law and, and political action? Do you have any predictions for us as to when you may think government regulators will step in and attempt to uh, put some pressure on companies to, to do the right thing here? Uh, so it would be great if they did. Um, I personally don't really think that the government is is capable of solving these problems because they're driven by politics, not by uh, the greater good. And sometimes the greater good involves a sacrifice of freedom. So, for instance, you you can look at some of those European economies where they may have greater privacy, but um, there is also greater control of individuals' behavior. Um, And that that, that can be a difficult trade-off. Uh, I'll give you um, a little example of, uh, by the way, of, of a different culture in Japan. Uh, there was one bank that used to write people's PIN numbers down in their files. So that if somebody forgot their PIN number for their ATM card, they could phone up the bank and get it. Wow. Um, you know, so <clears throat> um, uh, because Japan is a far more honest society. But if you're um, if you're North Korean, then you are rec- going to recognize that, uh, uh, that Japan is a great happy hunting ground. Okay, uh, because all these people trust each other. Yeah, well, it, so uh, yeah, it goes off the premise that we all think we're the normal ones, but in reality, yes. if we took Americans and Europeanized them or, or conditioned them to another culture, they'd probably look at us here in the United States and say, "You guys are crazy." Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so everyone has their differences and their stuff. The Aussies, by the way, they're great. They they have a tremendously strong uh, cybersecurity culture, um, yeah, you know. But uh, uh, at the same time, they also get attacked. So, so it comes down to no matter what your defence is, the bad guys, in my opinion, will always get better. Uh, for me, the, there is another piece which isn't so much a security story per se, but if we could get the U.S. government to um, ensure that every consumer owned their own data, you know, which comes back to my point about the credit uh, 
operating agencies. If that was my data, then at least I could sue them if they lost it, couldn't I? Yeah, and they would have to have my permission to uh, 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 to access it. And you know, this is a maybe it's a philosophical point, but if um, I controlled my data and we as consumers controlled our data, then uh, you know we could actually the market could force organisations to keep information, and then you wouldn't find all those paper financial records just uh, dumped into dumpsters, and then people could grab them and scan them again. Um, you know, so. Yeah, but I, I but, think that that might make a difference. Right, but but yet look at us. We, we're very very willing to sacrifice security in the name of convenience. If if you look at every yeah. home that has an Amazon Alexa, uh, yeah. or or the Google speaker or whatever they call it, you know, you have Siri on your phone. We we basically know that these devices are recording, they're profiling us, they're building a database on us with unbelievable amounts of information. But but yet if you can say. Um, you can call out to Alexa to open your garage door or turn your lights on or off. People seem to be okay to it. They're, they're completely immune to the consequences. So it, it seems as yeah. if we're, we're trending in the wrong direction. Yeah, and um, yeah, but you, you're bang on the point there, convenience. Everything is convenient, but there's a, a massive cost that's going to bite you later. Um, and, and yet people can't... My, yeah, my son, I, I had this conversation when I said, because I, I personally, I don't do Twitter, I don't do Facebook, I don't do that stuff because I realize that if it's free, uh, they're selling me. You're so the product. I, I, yeah, I don't do that. But my son said, you know, because I was saying, hey, look, you, know, you, you go online and you find you get all these targeted ads. And my son said, well, that's great because at least I don't, get, I don't get ads that I don't need to see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> Uh, but on the other hand, they've got this whole massive database on you, and somebody else can get that data, uh, whether it's government or it's a hacker, whoever it is, um, they can then manipulate and use that data to get uh, um, you to click on something and give away your money. Right, right. Now, now I'm going to put you on the spot here. I just thought of a question. And you, know, you are the CEO of a cybersecurity company, so you may have an answer or at least an opinion, or maybe you'll want to abstain from response. Um, I personally, if I could, if I could, I would go out and I would get a dumb phone. I would, uh, there's several projects out there. There's the punked phone. The latest version has been continuously in development. Uh, unfortunately, the one they have now is 3G and it pretty much won't work anywhere in the US. There's a couple of other um, Kickstarter projects out there for really elegant dumb phones. They, they may look like a smartphone. They have um, like e-ink displays. Some of them are, are, they're, are slated to come out with just a GPS, just an MP3 payer, and a telephone. I, would, I want one of those things so bad, so bad. But most of that technology, at least in the U.S., um, isn't available. You know, for, for networks overseas, um, more options, especially along the punk line. If you were to say, hey, look, I, I need to recommend a smartphone device or maybe a dumb phone device, uh, keeping in mind, you know, security uh, incidences with iOS and Apple, with Android, with everything else that's out there. I mean, no, no one can say that they're the best or, or, the, or the worst. There's all problems. What would you recommend? What, what, what's, your, what's your philosophy on connected devices such as smartphones, and, and what would you choose and why? Uh, so, unfortunately, I have to confess that I'm an Apple 
uh, user. If, um, so for, for me, it's an iPhone um, because it's a closed architecture environment. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it is uh, that I trust Apple because I don't trust Apple. I hate it that they keep on asking me, do I want to use Siri every time I use it? No, I don't. No, I don't. Leave me alone um, because they're trying to get information. Uh, but for me, uh, at least Apple do audit and control the apps and the environments, whereas uh, Android is the Wild West. And I appreciate that Android is like 80% of the market. Uh, so... Um, you know, I turn on my Sony TV and it fires up and it's got Android on it. And, uh, and I know that they want, they're collecting all my data. And I'm thinking, stop doing this. But um, you know, the days of, of a simple CRT TV with an operating system are long gone, aren't they? So, they are. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, unfortunately, it is Apple. But I think that the danger in that isn't so much inside the phone. Uh, although there are apps, as we know, even in Apple, that are just collecting all this information. Uh, and if I could have a license agreement uh, that wasn't 8 million pages long and that actually was a very simple standard license that gave me more control, I think I would um, go for that. So I don't think it's so much the technology as the underlying rights that we are being forced to sign away to the technology companies. Right. Um, you know, so, so if we could actually control that, then at least we would have recourse. But uh, um, I think I, I, I certainly do um, understand it would be great if we just had a phone that was a phone, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would. You know? I would have. I actually have a couple. There's yeah. a. It, it's called a banana phone. It's um. It's an AT and T usable phone. It's it, it's um. What, it's not CDMA, it's the other one, GSM. And it only yeah. supports several bands. We're down here in Florida, and they have some of the more legacy bands, uh, and it, it will work on 4G on AT&T. It runs Kai OS, which I believe is a flavor of Android, and it's yellow. And I think it's the coolest thing in the world. It's a banana phone. If, I've, if i if I got to go to a hacker conference or something, I'm leaving my smartphone at home, and I'm, I'm taking the banana phone. And uh, it's cool. It's, it's it's pretty much a dumb phone, and um, and that's about it. Uh, but I, I, I do wish there were more choices um, other than uh, the, the construction workers' um, rubberized you know flip phone that, that you can get. Yeah. But um, you know, maybe maybe we'll see more push for that. Maybe we won't. Um, I think we got to wrap it up here. Um, we're at about thirty-two minutes. Roland, do you have any final thoughts? I, I just think one last thing. Um, Colin, and I'm sure you see this, but what I see this is is cybersecurity, and we talk about the largest threat, our attack vector, is phishing emails. But I think this is becoming more than an IT department issue. Um, this is becoming an HR issue um, because traditionally IT has nothing to do with behavior of the employees, right? They provide the technology. But we're starting to see that that transition to where Security awareness, and this is not just phishing, it's password policy, it's um, internet usage policies, mobile device policies. These have to be part of not only a corporate culture, but they have to be corporate policy. And until this extends down to these small companies where it becomes a, 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 an offensive infraction, um, i.e. termination, like, like stealing or, or something of that nature, we're not going to see a change. 
Do you agree or disagree? Yep. Uh, totally. Um, so, <clears throat> because the the smallest individual unit of threat is the employee who is also a consumer, and they bring their consumer behavior to work, or they just, you know, we know that twenty five percent of people just don't get it until they're really uh, rigorously trained. But the C suite has to own this, and the CEO has to know that. Um, you know, the CEO and the CFO, they're very powerful people in a, in a company. And if they could only understand that one spoof email pretending to be them can bankrupt their company mm-hmm. uh, by telling a, a willing worker, a very loyal worker, uh, they believe it's um, it's the right thing to do. They go, Please wire some money to this place. Can we do that? I'm in a hurry. And before we know it, uh, there's uh, the CFO fraud has happened, the company's bank account is emptied, and everybody acted in the best interest. Um, this was enabled by uh, the CFO and CEO not having a strong policy and not training their people. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the insurance company probably won't pay because nobody forced them to do anything. Yeah. Uh, so, so sadly, it isn't going to change until... Um, enough people have that culture that you just mentioned, well, and, uh, and they do drive it down. You know, one thing, and we'll wrap on this. You know, I've seen cybersecurity policies, and I'm sure you have. And there's typically a checkbox on that policy where it either has to be witnessed or verified or sworn to that they provide some sort of security awareness or some sort of security training to their employees. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hey, and uh, uh, I know you're out of time, but you know these municipal uh, frauds, these ransomwares have been going on. There was a couple of them that were covered by insurance, like 600 grand. They just had to pay the first 25. Let's see what happens when they try and get the policy renewed. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, th- there was, I think it's the American Council of Mayors. I, I believe it's that. 1,400 mayors each one representing a city of 30,000 residents or more, just agreed to, quote-unquote, stand united and refuse to pay ransomware. uh, uh, Ransom, you know, for for ransomware. So uh, that's going to get really interesting. So, you know, you know there's going to be another attack. There was another attack today, several days after the 1,400 mayors agreed to stand united and never never capitulate, never pay the ransom. You know, what's going to happen now? So the, the... we just lose the ability for these systems to function. It's no. The taxpayers flip the bill for the restoration. The taxpayers, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, yeah. ask Atlanta, ask Baltimore. Should they have paid the ransom yeah. or in, incurred a 10x cost to recover the data? Just pay it. You know, well, I, yeah. 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 There's a 50% chance that you won't get it fixed, but there's a 100% chance you won't get it fixed if you don't pay. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, Simple math. You know, and... Uh, uh, and these are politicians. They want to be reelected. So I can tell you they can make nice statements and the, the FBI say don't pay. Everyone will say don't pay. But um, what they need to do is communicate. They need to try and negotiate a deal and they need to get it as, as cheap as they can. Uh, but if they can negotiate, but, you know, they need to make a financial decision. And uh, Baltimore could have spent uh, 80 grand for a 50% chance of recovery. And uh, last count, they were up to 18.5 million. Uh, It it really is unbelievable. Well, with that, thank you very much. And and we're going to put the offer out again right now. Here's the offer. It's real simple. We will pay any company that's interested $100 in cash. 
maybe there'll be some maybe my my accounting department they hate when i do this they might be like well it can't be cash it's got to be a check or an amazon gift card but trust me the spirit of this holds true i will pay a hundred dollars to any company that agrees to allow me to test them now if we get through they 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 owe us a contract in order to go in there and remediate and clean up and train and and provide the services which i would imagine they would they would want to buy if we're able to to get uh, past their defenses but here it is anyone if, if if you think your people are good and you think your technology is good and you think you've trained your staff i'm willing to give you a hundred hours if i cannot penetrate your systems period and, and how are you going to feel the next time there's wire fraud how are you going to feel the next time you get a virus how are you going to feel the next time you have ransomware when you, you, you could have just took the offer for the hundred dollars but you didn't because you're cocky and you're arrogant and you think your stuff's great you know, how are you going to feel then you're, you're going to Man, people people are you work with? They're they're, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to be like that guy Greg. He offered to give you a hundred bucks if he can't hack your network, and you were so confident you declined it. And now look at us. Now look what happened. So that offer is out there, and uh, just just give us a call here. You can talk to Roland. He'll tell you all about it. And we appreciate uh, working with you, Colin, and everything that you do. And, and we appreciate it from the perspective that we're helping people. I, I had just earlier today spoken to um, the folks over um, at uh, the title report. They're uh, interviewing us for uh, an article on the legal description or something along those lines. And I was explaining to them, you know, we, we do this um, first and foremost because we care. And you need to make a difference and you need to provide a valuable service. If you help people and you care and you can prevent someone's business from being destroyed or someone's life from being destroyed, then that's what it's all about. And of course, the money will follow that. You provide a good service, a good value, and you care, then the natural thing that, that comes behind that is, is you'll make money, which of course we want to do. But I, I am just so passionate about this. And quite frankly, I'm angry. I'm angry at a lot of people because um, it's not being taken as seriously as it, as it should be. And I know I can sit here, as you do too, uh, Roland and, and, and Colin. We all know we can we can compromise these organizations. It's just so easy. But that that normalcy bias holds true every time. And um, I, I I feel like I work in an emergency room where where heroin addicts are just coming in every night, and you just want to say, Pete, you're destroying your life. Stop yeah. it. And just the people stop. around you. Mm. Just stop. So. Thank you very much for everything that you do, Colin. Uh, thank you, Roland. Well, and uh, we'll, we'll be wrapping it up. All right, Colin. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Great, great talking with you. Uh, right. Keep you. on the mission. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I think that about does it for today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And always remember to help control the pet population. Have your pet spayed or neutered. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Gregory McDonald Unfiltered is a production of M20 Media LLC. It is produced by Wayne Thompson. Music is courtesy of Dezus. Voiceover talent provided by Jonathan Lumen. If you have a question or a suggestion for an upcoming topic, we invite you to write to us at podcast at m20media.com. Listen to Gregory McDonald Unfiltered on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.